What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One can look back at his life and see this swarm of locusts active in one episode after another, bringing to naught those dreams that were, bringing to nothing the labor and patient toil of one's hands. The shocking, stunning inevitability of the curse, watching with your own eyes as that which you loved disintegrates, helpless as the swarm of locusts, one after another, devours it all. What we all know by personal experience is precisely that of which Joel speaks of the entire nation of Israel. They had fallen short of the glory of God. Indeed, they had put all their hope, all their trust, all their joy in those fields. And they were certain that they would all be there until they weren't. This first poem of the prophet Joel is followed by another, a nation depicted as an army sweeping down, but as an almost inhuman army with teeth of lions and fangs of the lioness sweeping down and devouring all the trees, those of the vineyard, those that produce the fig. So that in these two poems, all the grain is destroyed, all the wine is destroyed, and all the fruits are destroyed. Joel writes these poems in the 8th century before our Lord. His name, Yah-El, means Yahweh is God. Indeed, it is a message we all need to hear. Because as we look at his prophecy, as we see those disasters that befall Israel, as we hear in no uncertain terms that this is the judgment of God, so we too must de-enlighten the way we see the world. Where disaster falls upon a nation or upon the individual, we must see it indeed as the hand of God. These two poems of the locusts and the great army are combined into one by St. John the Evangelist in the New Testament in the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. There in the ninth chapter of Revelation, when the great angel blows the fifth trumpet, 
What is opened is the great abyss from below, and from the midst of its black smoke come hordes of locusts, and in their mouths the teeth of lions, the fangs of the lioness. This demonic horde is poured out from heaven upon earth as one of the final great punishments, as one of the final great calls to repentance. These demonic beings afflict all of humanity. All of humanity, that is, except for those who bear the seal of God upon their foreheads. You bear the seal of God upon your foreheads. Because here in these waters you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And his name was written upon your forehead and upon your heart. So that no matter how you have rebelled, no matter how you have fallen short of the glory of God, God refuses to be ashamed of you. He refuses to drive you away. He welcomes you as that father welcomes the prodigal son. If only, if only you will come to your senses and return. Upon your forehead he has put his name and his seal forever. And so, upon your forehead this night is not only ashes showing that you acknowledge that you are a sinner, but ashes in the form of a cross. For you know that you have been clothed in Christ and that the ashes and filth of your sins have been put upon him as he hung from the cross and there those sins have been put away forever. Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of Lent. And Lent is that season in which we set the cross of Christ before us. And as we journey through Lent, we journey ever closer and closer to that cross. And we see then through all the calamities that befall the earth and nation, and yes, us as individuals, that these do not befall us because God hates us. We are his own. We are his beloved children. These befall us for our good. And we see that, especially in the cross of our Lord Jesus. How this greatest of all evils, God works for the greatest of all goods. Joel gives his people three concrete actions to take. And playing off those, I'll simply tell you what they are and tell you what they might mean for you today. The first call to action is that you would put on sackcloth 
and lament. Now, sackcloth isn't a terribly popular attire these days, nor is anything that shows you to be anything other than profoundly beautiful and pathologically happy. Sackcloth kind of flies in the face of all that. It doesn't photograph well for Instagram. But I do believe that with a little creativity, you might be able to put to mind that the broken heart and the contrite spirit would manifest itself in some way externally in how it is you choose to dress. If you are one who wears pajamas everywhere, maybe you don't. If you are one who dresses to the hilt, gaudy and flashy, maybe you dress plainly. Let the mourning of your heart be expressed externally in your very body and being. The second call is to fast. Indeed, that is the very heart of Lent. Lent sometimes in the history of the church simply called the great fast. As the church fathers said, the only rule to fasting is there is no rule. So no one will bind your conscience on how it is that you are to fast. You can choose whichever way works for you. But if you're looking for a simple starting point, I would simply say Wednesdays and Fridays Skip lunch. Take a small snack. Use your hunger pangs. Use that time that you would have otherwise used to eat in prayer. And then take what you would have spent on that meal, a couple dollars if at home, more than that if out. Gather that together and give it away. In so doing, you fulfilled those three things of which we heard our Lord himself speak moments ago. Fasting, prayer, and the giving of alms. Last but not least, Joel tells his people to gather to the house of the Lord. And what more fitting time if your church attendance has slipped to every other week, to once a month, to less than that, to remember the third commandment where our Heavenly Father enjoins you to come to His house each and every Lord's Day to receive His gifts. And if you are already in the habit of every Sunday, come on Wednesdays for Lenten Vespers. And if already that, look for a study. Draw near to the Lord, and this is His promise I will draw near to you. These concrete, external, physical manifestations are meant to come forth from a heart that mourns and laments and sorrows over its sin. When we take an honest look at our lives in light of the holy commandments of God. When we take an honest appraisal of how short we have fallen of His glory. When we look at the ongoing wreckage and devastation ongoing in our lives and we think those locusts have come. Can what they have destroyed ever be returned to us? 
in this contrition, in this mourning, we cry out with Joel, O Lord, to you I call. Indeed, that is about all the gospel there is in this entire first chapter of the prophet of Joel. O Lord, to you I call. When everything is falling apart or has fallen apart, when the just and right consequences of my sin have befallen me, O Lord, to you I call. And the Lord draws near to the downcast. A broken, con- a broken spirit and a contrite heart he does not despise. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. Set before your hearts and your minds the cross of Jesus. His Dying love for you. His blood poured out to cleanse you. His body given for what your body has done. And in this we glimpse the great day of the Lord. The judgment of all. But it is a judgment poured out on Christ, not on you where the grain and the wine were taken, the grain and the wine are again by him restored. For you this very night, the new grain, the new bread that is his body, the new fruit of the vine, the new wine that is his blood, given into your mouth, as a sure and certain pledge of the forgiveness of all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.